Welcome to Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you, and enjoy today's service. I told you, um, for those of you that are newer, you don't know this, but uh, so last year I wrote a book and published it, and I was out a lot of Sundays doing a, a book tour around in different places, and I appreciated you allowing me to do that. But um, I told you back then, one of the things I really felt God spoke to my heart about is to have some of our team speak even when I'm home, not just when I'm gone. And uh, we have a really deep bench here. We have wonderful pastors. We have six pastors, not just me. We have six pastors on staff. And uh, I just happen to get to be the, the thorn among all the roses. So it's exciting. It's exciting to, to raise them up and to see them. I want to introduce someone uh, really close to my heart today. Pastor Kristen Kennedy is uh, our children's pastor. And I've known her all of her life, literally. And... Uh, but uh, this young lady came out of the womb ready to preach the gospel. She was, she was somebody who was on fire for God, even as a young person. She got saved when she was barely three years old and filled the Holy Spirit at like three and a half or four. Uh, it was just amazing to see her development. She's always had tremendous discernment on the times and seasons of God. She's very prophetic in nature. And she really has a, just a tremendous heart for God and to see people connect with the Lord. She has uh, been on staff with us. She just had her 25th anniversary. She started as a teenager with us, and she has been here 25 years on staff. And so I'm very excited to introduce to you, give a great Now Church welcome to our own Pastor Kristen Kennedy as she comes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. All right, I'm honored to bring the word this morning. My message is titled, Need a Hand, and you'll know what that means as we get going. Well, first of all, I just want to welcome God's presence in here. Lord, we just thank you for this day that you have made. Help us to rejoice and be glad in it, even though it seems gloomy on the outside. We thank you that in here, it's filled with life and your power and your anointing. And I ask that you will anoint me to speak, Lord, the, the word of the Lord and I thank you, Father God, that you'll open spirits and hearts to receive what you're saying to each and every person in a personal, intimate way. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, we're going to start in Ezekiel 43.12. The scripture says, this is the law of the house. Upon the top of the mountain, the whole limit thereof round about shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the house. Now, God is saying, basically, he says it twice. When God repeats himself in scripture, it's, it's emphasis. It's, hey, you better understand what he's saying. He's trying to make a point, right? Amen. So this is going to make sense in a minute. But he's saying, basically, if you want me, this is the law of the house. This is the way that it needs to be. It goes on in verse 13. It says, these are the measurements of the altar in cubits. The cubit is one cubit and a handbreadth. That's Ezekiel 43:13. Now, a cubit, you may have heard, maybe you're familiar with the terms of measurement they used back in Bible times, but I'm going to show you what a cubit is. 
Uh, because they didn't have fancy tools back then, right? They didn't have measuring tape and all these really cool gadgets and stuff. They didn't have engineering and all that stuff. So what they do? God told Noah when he built the ark to use what terms of measurement to use. So a cubit, I'm going to show you what it is, okay? They measured by a hand breadth. Now, you're going to learn something today. A hand breadth is, uh, they, would, they would measure the arm of a man, okay? Now, this is really cool, and I want you to try it with me. You're going to stretch out your arm, and you're going to put four fingers, okay? Finger to finger. This is a hand breadth or a hand width, right? Okay? So what they did was they would stretch out your arm, and you would put it in the fold of where your elbow is, okay? Like this. And if you go from point to point, fingertip to fingertip, like that, by the end of your middle finger, your longest finger, you would have equal about six hand breaths, right? Did you try it? I've tried it many times. It's pretty cool because it works. So that is the measurement, the cubit. Now, six hand widths equals one cubit. When God told Noah, like I said, to build an ark and save his family, God told him how many cubits to use. The arm in scripture is called the cubit of a man. And the interesting part is that six hand widths make a cubit, and six is the number of man represented in the Bible. Now, in creation, God worked six days, and then he said, we're going to rest on the seventh day, because who does that day belong to? God, the Lord, right? He said, that day belongs to me, so we're going to rest. We're going to do all we can do in six days, and then we're going to rest. Now, six means the number of human effort. It's what man can do. And it's amazing what people can do, right? With our own two hands, what God's given us the power to do. The Bible says God's given us the power to get wealth. The Bible says so many things about our hands. And it's amazing what we can do. We look around all, especially this day and age, to look at the technology and the things that a human mind and, the, and putting your hands to work just from an idea, from a concept, to your hands and making it come into reality is amazing. The skyscrapers, the tallest buildings, uh, the kingdoms, businesses, empires, the things that man and people and humans can create. But I want to see, I want to show you something. John 15, 5 says, yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I love how the Message Bible puts it. It says, when you're joined with me and I with you, the relation, we talk about the relationship with God. It's not just religion or, or some master telling us what to do. It's a relationship. It says, when you're joined with me and I with you, the relation, intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant, but separated, you can't produce a thing. Now, our relationship with God should be intimate. It should be natural to us. It should come naturally because that's what we are created for, relationship with God. It should be alive. It should be living and natural. But separated from God, you can't produce a thing. That's how Jesus made it. Now, he wasn't saying we can't do anything. He was saying, oh, you can do nothing. No, but without him, we can never do something of eternal significance or value. We, so many of us, we think, man, what, what, you know, uh, in Ecclesiastes, it talks about life being a vapor and being so quick, right? And we get concerned. What, what am I doing with my life, right? We get so caught up in what are we doing? 
What am I doing? What am, what am I going to do that, that is, is here after me? Am I making a name for myself? We get so concerned about that stuff. And the Bible's saying, hey, you're going to do awesome things, but if, you don't, if you're not connected with a real relationship with me, then you're going to do nothing of lasting impact or value. And that's what our purpose is. So the sixth hand width of the cubit represents what we humans can build, right? Represents what we can achieve by our own hands. But there are two different cubits mentioned in the Bible. And I'm going to show you. We just learned the first one, which equals six hand breaths or hand widths, right? That's the one they measure the arc width, and that's the, the, the usual uh, term of cubit. But there's a second term of cubit that only appears once in the Bible, and it's in this chapter. In Ezekiel 43, Ezekiel was shown a vision, and God told Ezekiel to build him a house that will endure, it will last. It's going to stand the test of time. A house where children will be blessed. And this is the key to it. I'm going to read that scripture again at Ezekiel 43:13. Now listen closely. These are the measurements of the altar in cubits. The cubit that's talked about in this scripture is the cubit is one cubit and a hand breadth. Now, what does that mean? This is the law of the house. The cubit is how many hand breadths? Six. But in this scripture, it talks about a seventh hand breadth that is only found by God's hand on your life. There is only, we add one more to it, and that's God. He's the only one who can produce something. He's the only one, if you want a house that lasts and that stands and endures and is blessed, you have to have God's hand on your life and invite him into your life and family and into everything that you put your hand to do. Six, again, is the number of what man can do. But God says, I'm going to add one more hand, and that's the hand of God. If you want to raise godly children in this world, if you want to have a marriage that lasts, it's got to be built on the right thing. We've got to partner with Jesus. We've got to partner with him who wants to build our house. You've got to give it all you got. I love that when God's telling us, hey, you use everything in your natural ability. He wants us to use that. It's not like we don't have to do anything. But God's saying, hey, why is that? You step out in faith, God meets you there. Why is it so unexplainable sometimes, the things that happen? And we're like, we can't make sense in our natural brain. It's because it wasn't just your, your sixth hand widths. It was God's seventh that shined upon your situation and in your family and in your circumstance. God says, my hand is going to come on your hand. And I will put my hand with your effort. And let me tell you, when God's hand is on your hand, you can't fail. How many people do we know that have built amazing corporations? They have acquired fame and fortune, won the the highest levels of awards, gained the highest fortunes in life. And they have built empires and kingdoms or whatever throughout history. And yet they're miserable people. Why is that? Their lives or marriages or families have fallen apart. And most, most of the time, it's during the same time that they're experiencing the height of their career and yet the lowest of lows. Sometimes they feel like it's the highest of success, yet they feel empty. I've heard Super Bowl winners talk about, after the Super Bowl, being alone and realizing, what is this about? I've reached the pinnacle of my career, and I feel empty. Why? Because you do everything you can do in human effort, but you haven't asked God for his hand on your life to make it all worth it. 
Like I said, God wants relationship with us. He made it so that we can only go so far without him. We can accomplish great things. We can do awesome stuff. But again, we need him and his hand on our life. Remember the story of Elijah? There was a famine in Israel. It hadn't rained in three and a half years. And Elijah prayed, and he sent his servant. If you know the story, it's so awesome. He's sending his servant out to the top of the mountain to look out at the clouds, look out over the ocean, see what you see, see if there's any rain coming. And Elijah prayed, and his servant came back to him. He said, I don't see anything. There's nothing coming. He goes, okay. What do you do? He goes, okay. I want you to look again. I'm going to pray, and I want you to look again. Well, if you remember the story, this happens. comes back again. Nothing. There's nothing yet. Elijah goes, okay. I want you to look again. Go again. I'm going to pray. God's going to move. I just, we're going to see that. Well, guess what? He came back again and again and again six times. Read it in the Bible. Six times he comes back and he says, I see nothing. And on the seventh time, Elijah says, you go back one more time because my God's not going to fail. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that this happens, but you go look and you tell me what you see. The servant goes out there. He looks out. He comes back with the report. And guess what he says? Finally, it says in 1 Kings 18.44, it says, literally says, finally the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. He saw the seventh hand coming to help him do what was impossible. Thank God for the seventh hand that brings the supernatural part. We have to do our part. My parents always taught me, do your best and God will do the rest. I tell my kids that too. Do your best. Give it all you got. Don't just think, oh, God's going to do it all for me. I don't have to do anything. No. God waits for action. He's moved when we're moved by faith. When we step out in faith, God meets us there with his hand who's saying, hey, you can't do it on your own, but I can. Stick with me. Stay close in relationship with me, right? Be connected with me, and we're going to do something. We're going to do amazing things. The seventh hand's going to do what we cannot do, what we could never make happen on our own. And like I said, when God puts his hand with your effort, you can never fail. The law of the house, Ezekiel 43, the law of the house is you do all that you can. You do everything you can in your human ability, and when you hit your limit, the hand of God's going to come, Amen. right? Amen. Without God, we can do nothing spiritually good. He is the vine. That's life. He's a living vine. We are the branches. We're part of him, and without him, we could do nothing. It takes the anointing. Now, I want you to look at something amazing, too. The Bible tells us that Goliath was six cubits tall. It says six cubits in a span. And six cubits, what they say in history, is that he was about nine and a half feet tall. Now, here's little David, right? Comes along. Now, Goliath was taunting God, was taunting, and the army of the Lord had to hear him come out and say, who's going to fight me? You're wimpy, God. Nobody's going to stand up to me. He thought he was all-powerful, Right? Now, I want you to see something. His ancestors had six fingers and six toes. It's in the Bible. Look it up. And they say that's hereditary, which means it must have come from somewhere. 
which means he had it. So six cubits tall. He had six fingers, six toes. Think about it. Six is the number of man that man can produce. Now, six cubits tall, six fingers, six toes. Six, six, six is associated with Antichrist and Revelation. I'm not getting all super spiritual on you. I want you to hear something. Goliath represents this spirit, okay? Now, Antichrist is not some wacky super spiritual thing. All it means is simply one who opposes Christ. And what did he do? He opposed Christ big time. He was taunting the people of God, saying, nobody can save you. We're going to take over. You're out of here. We're going to annihilate you. Wipe off the face of the earth. And what did God's people do? A lot of people were like, who? He's... He means business. We don't want to go near him. They heard his taunt. They heard him call out their God. And it took a shepherd boy who was like, you're going to let him talk to our God that way? Really? I mean, think about what must have been on the inside of David. He wasn't intimidated. He knew God was with him. When that spirit that tries to oppose Christ, it's the devil. He wants to be God so bad. He tries to get there in his own strength. But every time he hits six, he can't go any higher. He has to keep going back and starting over again. That's the spirit of the world. That's the spirit that opposes God and what he wants to do. But you can never do that without God. When David went out to fight Goliath, he still had to do his part. God told him, hey, collect five smooth stones. He had to do his part. It's not like he's just going to like, I'm going to stand out there and God's going to do something amazing. Right? <laughs> he, was, he did his part. He even tried on Saul's battle, his armor. And he was like, this is not fitting me. I'm not, this isn't comfortable. I'm putting on somebody else's stuff. God's not going to do it this way. The armor's not going to get the credit. The king's not going to get the credit. God's going to get the credit. Right? Now, like I said, we have to do our part. David did his part. He went out to fight Goliath, but he had that seventh hand. He did what he could do, but in that heat of the moment, God's hand came on his hand, and he defeated that giant. We have to do our part. We need God's hand to defeat the giants in our lives. Like we said, that's a symbol, a message that we all remember that story. People that aren't even Christians know that story of David and Goliath. But guess what? That's to infuse us with strength and power from the Holy Spirit to know that we can't do it on our own. doesn't make sense to our natural brain. It's not physically, humanly possible. But God. We can't do it on our own, but God can. Now, Deuteronomy 28 is, called, is referred to in the, in the Bible as the blessing chapter. Now, people like to focus on the blessings, but it's actually what we receive. It's if you do this. I will do this, right? This is what God's saying. It's conditional. It's saying, hey, if you want to be blessed, walk in obedience. Do what I've commanded you and tell you to do. The promptings I give you, do those things. Now, it talks about the blessings we receive when we're obedient with walking with the Lord. And in Deuteronomy 28, verse 12, it says, The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. God wants to bless the work of your hands, but not the stuff you labor to do with your own strength. Not the stuff that you're like, ooh, I made it through in a pinch, and oh, look what I did. Oh, I did it again. I can do anything. Man, we're unstoppable. Right? When people say that, I cringe because I'm like, oh boy. 
It's not what we can do in our own strength. It's only God, again, of eternal significance and value. You want to do something amazing with your life? Join your life with God and see what he can do. It takes you farther than you ever could dream of. God promises when we obey him and we live for him, when we do our part, that his hand will come on our hands and he will bless the work of our hands. What an awesome promise, isn't it? What you can't do on your own, like we said, God can. God can do it. Now in Joshua 6, I want you to look at two more places with me. In Joshua 6, God called Joshua to take the city of Jericho. Remember this story? Maybe you learned it as a kid in in Sunday school. But he told them to march around the city for how many days? Seven. Seven days. Now for six days, what did they do? They looked like crazy people. Because they were an army going like, they're like, Joshua, what did God tell you to do? Are you sure? God didn't tell us like to get the biggest weapons and like we're going to defeat, take down these walls, these fortified walls that no man can crush or, I mean, they were, they were gloating this, this city, these people that nobody could ever break down their walls. Well, watch what you say when you say nothing's going to happen. Like Titanic, this is the unsinkable ship. Well, is it? Is God's hand on it to help you? Because you need it, right? So watch out what you claim and what you say. And they said that about Jericho. And they're like, the people of God can't take this city. We've got fortified walls. We've got, I mean, it's amazing the things that they did to build this thing and engineer it with human hands, right? Nothing happened the first six days. But something was happening in the spirit, right? It wouldn't have just happened if they're like, well, let's just wait six days and then go to the seventh and see what God means on the seventh day. No, it took walking it out. The people of God marched around the city, and they did that for six days. And on the seventh day, guess what happened? When they obeyed God and they went around that seventh day, they marched seven times around that, build, that, uh, that city. And when they marched seven times, God's hand came into the picture once again and did something as they lifted up a great shout. After they did all of the things that they could do with their human effort, God put his hand on their hand and said, watch this, guys. And those walls came crashing down. The impossible became possible all because of God's hand, the seventh hand that came just in time. Another story I'm reminded of is in... In 2 Kings, verse 5, there was a man, a soldier, a mighty warrior named Naaman, who had leprosy, and he went to the prophet Elisha to be healed. And Elisha sent his servant out to tell him, dip in the river seven times. Now, he thought it sounded crazy. And if you read the Bible, it says that his fellow soldiers convinced him If he told you to do something major and crazy and amazing, you would do it. But this little simple thing, why don't you just try it? But if his brain didn't make sense, how is God going to heal me through this? This isn't going to work, right? But what happened? If you read the story, when he came up out of that water after dipping six times and nothing happening, the seventh time once again... God's hand is what made the difference. He comes up out of that water and the Bible says his skin was restored and clean and clear like that of a young child. I'm not making this stuff up. This is in the Bible. And it blows your mind when you see how many times 
what God's trying to show us through the pictures of, hey, six is a limit. There's only so much you can do as a human being that I've created you. But I made you for relationship with me. And if you want to do more, if you want to break through, if you want these things that are impossible to happen, you've got to have the seventh hand. You have to have the hand of God that makes the difference. Again, we still have to do our part. Naaman still had to dip seven times, probably looking like a fool in the river, thinking, is this really going to work? I don't know. I'm going to try it because I'm desperate, right? This is a word for many of you in here. And I encourage you, reach out, receive this word for your situation and what you're dealing with. Maybe it's an addiction you've been dealing with, trying everything in your own strength, and you don't know what else to do. Do your part. And let the seventh hand, God's hand, come upon your life. The anointing has the power to break you through. That no other breakthrough can come except by the hand of God. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe you're desperate. Maybe you've done all that you can do. God's hand is going to come on your hand and make something happen that you could never make happen on your own. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in raising your children. Maybe it's your home. Maybe you need peace in your home. You just have impossible situations. Maybe it's healing in your body that you're waiting on and believing God for that you can't make happen on your own. Do your part and know that God will do his part. But talk for a minute to parents. What's your part in raising godly kids? Maybe grandparents. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. I love the amplified version because it says, teaching him to seek God's wisdom and will for his abilities and talents. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, this is a promise from God that's conditional. You do your part. What's our part? Our part is training. Training is hard sometimes, right? Training of any kind is hard. It's the, it's, it's, I've heard it's the pain of discipline or the pain of regret, but you're going to live with the pain of something, and you've got to do it, but you've got to know and trust that after you've done all that you can do, God's going to show up and do the rest. Our kids are marked by God's hand on their lives, whether they know it or not. And what's part of that training? Part of that training is simple. Stay connected with God. Keep your relationship with God fresh and organic and alive. Bring them to church. Make it a priority in your life for your family. Let them grow up in God's house. There's something so powerful about the gathering, being in the room. Because when you're in the room, God's presence comes in the room and changes everything. We sing that song. It changes everything. God's hand in your life changes everything. Something, like I said, just to have them sit here, to have them be in the house. It may, they may ask you, why are we going to church? Tell them this is what we do. This is what we do. And you know what? Some of them may be kicking and screaming literally to get in here. If you've got kids who don't want to come here or teenagers. But guess what? God says, be planted in the house of God and watch your life flourish. Bring your kids. Let them be in the presence of God. Give them opportunities to experience God for themselves. Because let me tell you something. I'm a testimony of this myself. When you experience something for yourself, you'll never be talked out of it. So God knows, hey, if you do your part, bring them. 
Bring them to church. Bring them to youth events. Bring them to and children's events. Get them here. Get them just in the presence of God. And even over time, if they have a hard heart, God starts working on them. The presence of God starts meeting them here. And they start looking around and seeing some of the things. If they know you're uncompromising in your beliefs and your standards, guess what? It's going to trickle down to your children. It's not about being a perfect parent. I heard a powerful podcast, uh, thought on a podcast once that says we cannot be Jesus for our kids, but we can need Jesus in front of them. And I love that because doesn't that take the pressure off? We don't need to be perfect. God never expected us to be perfect. There's only one perfect parent and that's Father God. But that's so true. Let us, let us uh, live as an example knowing, you know what? We don't have to be perfect. But let them see you pursuing God and how much you need him, how much his hand, how much you need his hand on your life. Let them know when you're going through stuff. Some of my greatest uh, faith building blocks were seeing when my parents struggled with stuff. They didn't, they were, we were children. They didn't tell us everything. But you know what? They included us in the problem so we could be part of the solution. Some of you try to shelter your kids from some of the things or some of you tell them too much. There's got to be that balance right in the middle where you say, you know what? We're believing for some things, and we want you to be a part of this because we're going to watch and see what God does, right? Have them be part of it. Pray together. I remember sometimes just being, we were desperate for certain things, certain miracles. My parents would tell us, hey, we're in a tough financial situation, and we're not going to have a Christmas tree. We're not going to be able to do this stuff. You know what my brother and I did? We literally prayed, God, please give us a Christmas tree. I'm not kidding you. I was five years old, and I will never forget it. Our neighbor ended up winning one, I believe, at work or something. Comes to our house. Hand delivers a Christmas tree. We're like, okay, God, we knew you got this. And seriously, my parents were like, what? But God cares about the desires of even your children's hearts, and he wants to blow their minds with the, with the answer. He wants to say, hey, you are believing for this, and your parents are believing for the big, grandiose things that they really need. But I care about even the children and the desires of their hearts because I'm real to them. And I want them to know that I'm real so they will love me and serve me all the days of their life. And they won't have to turn away from me because they know that I'm real based on my own experience with them. There's been so many things in my life that I can't explain. But I've always known it was just God. God did this, made some impossible things possible. One of my life verses is Ephesians 3.20. I love it in the Passion Translation. It says, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and he's going to exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. I love that promise, and that's a promise we need to take. Some of us feel so lowly, so, oh, I'm so undeserving. Guess what? We are undeserving, but not with God's hand, right? God said we became the righteousness of Jesus. He took our sins on the cross so we don't have to live under anything. We're not victims anymore. We can live free and be victorious and say, you know what? This is my promise this is mine. This is for me. God said this for me. He's going to energize me. When you feel tired, you'd feel tired. You need to see that God is his power, miraculous power that constantly energizes you. 
When God's hand is on your life, you don't have to make it happen. You just have to do your part and see what God does. Maybe you're in a season of waiting for God's hand to move in your life. Maybe it's a season for all of us. We all go through seasons of waiting. And like kids, or just big kids sometimes, we want to throw a little tantrum, right? They're like, I don't want to wait anymore, God. I want it now. But I want to encourage you. If you're waiting on something, maybe you're waiting in a season of singleness for your spouse. Maybe you're believing for healing. That's taken a little while. Maybe you're a couple who's believing for a baby. Whatever the promise of God is for your life, you fill in the blank. You know what it is. But maybe it's not time yet. I've been there. We've been there. And I want to encourage you. There's a powerful thought I read, and I want to read this to you. Our seasons of waiting are never wasted. They serve a purpose because we spend time with the Lord differently when we're waiting for him to do something. We have the opportunity to trust God while we're waiting for his word to be fulfilled in a way that we won't ever get to trust him again. We can't control God's timing, but we can choose how we wait for his promises to come. While we might keep popping in front of God saying, is it time now, God? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Right? Can I have it now? Can I do it now? Can it be time for this to finally happen? God gently reassures our hearts and says, I haven't forgotten about you. I know what you want. I also know what's best. Everything I do for you is compelled by my love. Your waiting isn't in vain. Let's spend some time together until the time for this next promise arrives. I love that thought. Isn't that awesome? It's so true. Waiting is not some passive thing of us just idly sitting by. But waiting is an action. It's saying, hey, I'm poised that God's promise is going to come to pass I don't have to move heaven and earth to make it happen on my own. I don't have to, God doesn't need my help in bringing his promise to pass. I simply have to trust him and do my part. When God says to do something, I'm going to say yes, right? I'm going to walk in that and I'm going to watch as I do the action that God tells me to do. Waiting is with anticipation. It's leaning into God closer of what is God going to do? Because it's far greater than you could ever dream up on your own or make happen on your own. It's about those seasons that we're passionately pressing into God and his heart and trusting in his timing, waiting for his hand to move on your hand and do far more than we could ever dream of in our wildest imagination. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the word of the Lord I pray, God, for each person to receive what you have for them today. Let them not leave this room unchanged, but, Lord, let them receive whatever it is that they came in desiring and wanting and needing, I pray. Lord, let them have your touch. Lord, I pray for the people that are believing for a miracle, the ones that are waiting, God, in a season of waiting and holding. It's not a holding pattern of staying still. It's a leaning in and a moving closer to you, Father God, in your heart. Lord, we wait in seasons when you're going to do something that you've promised. We wait differently. We wait with great expectation. We wait hungering and thirsting after more of you. God, for the ones who are believing for family members, who are waiting for salvations to come, people who are believing for a spouse, a godly spouse, 
Lord, give them your strength and power. Lord, you are no respecter of persons. You've done it for us. You could do it for them. And God, we trust you. Lord, you're waiting for people to trust you, to lean in, to be connected with you. And I thank you, God, for each and every person in this room just to experience that intimate relationship with you. Let them stay connected with you and your infinite power. God, it's you are the God of the impossible. Help us to do our part, to be faithful, to do the action and obey, and to receive the blessing that you'll bless the work of our hands. We speak over the hands of all these people, God. I thank you, Father God, for no lack, but Lord, for them to have more than enough, not just to meet their needs, but to exceed their expectations, to be a help and a blessing to the people around them. I thank you, Father God, you're the God of more than enough for the testimony that they're waiting is, not just for them, but God, for the people around them that are in on the problem, they're gonna be in on the solution that only you can bring. And Lord, I just thank you right now for miracles all over this room. Lord, I thank you for the faith of God to be stirred, for people to reach out and take, Lord, what you have for them in this season and to see it's not by their human effort, it's not by their human ability, but it's only by the hand of the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us at Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, event registration, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you.